mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 137 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica. And first up, want to say thanks to everyone that tuned in last week. I had Roger Clark, actor from Red Dead Redemption 2. You might know him as Arthur Morgan. And it was great to see people getting into that interview, hearing what Roger went through with that experience, working with Rockstar, watching Red Dead Redemption 2 become the behemoth that it has been since 2018 release. So go back and check that one out if you missed it. But if you're here just for this episode, we have Colin Moriarty on the podcast of Colin's Last Stand, Sacred Symbols, and now of Twin Breaker. This isn't Colin's first time on the show. We've done a few podcasts together in the past. So if you wanted to check out the predecessor to this interview, the context might be helpful to go back and listen to episode 54, which came out two years ago to the month. And we talked about what's happened over those past two years in this interview, as well as just the experience of covering games for so long as a critic and as a analyst, I guess, and now just being able to see what it's like on the other side, working with Barry at Lilymo Games becoming a minority stakeholder in the near future and looking down the barrel of working with Barry on a number of titles in the next few years. So that's a lot to look forward to. And Twin Breakers is just the beginning. I platinumed it last night. It's a great, fun little brick breaker, Arkanoid type game. And I think by the end of this interview, you'll probably be intrigued anyway. So I won't have to sell you on it at all. With Colin writing this game, the experience is quite similar to what I've been doing working with the Rainbite developers with the narrative of Trigger Witch. So it was great to kind of compare our experiences in that regard. I should also mention, because we're going to talk about it on the interview, that Colin has been very supportive of my writing as an author. He gave my first book a great plug back in the days of Colin and Greg Live when I was crowdfunding and helped me sell a few more in the pre-order phase. That was The Spy and the Maven. He was lined up to write a foreword for that book and things kind of fell through with a lot of stuff going on. But then when I released my second book, the sequel, The Maven Effect, Colin was kind enough to write a foreword for me. And if you want to check out that book and that foreword from Colin, you can pick up a copy of The Maven Effect over at gumroad.com slash Jono himself. But for now, I'll let you listen to the interview. Here he is, the pride of Long Island, Colin Moriarty enjoy the show. Colin, thank you so much for joining me once again. This is our third podcast together. How you doing? I'm okay. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's good to be here with you. I didn't realize it was so early where you are. I'm not good at time differences outside of the United States. That's fine. I just pretend nothing happens outside of the United States, basically. <laughs> and then uh, this is all made up time and made up calendars. I've, no, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a weird month for me. And uh, I'm trying to enjoy the release of the game that I just launched um mm. just going through some weird emotional turmoil right now really feeling it so i'm trying to just shake myself out of it a little bit in different ways and so this couldn't have happened at a better time so it's good to good to talk to you yeah yeah it's always tough when that happens because you you think like why couldn't why couldn't this good thing happen when i can enjoy it properly but then if the good thing wasn't there then you'd probably be even lower in the depths of whatever you're going through indeed indeed I guess, first of all, I should say in person, thank you for the foreword of my book, because it's the first time we've actually spoken since that's all happened. Um, you, of course, were kind enough to lend me your time with that. And yeah, I just want to acknowledge that as well for the listeners out there who weren't aware 
of you being involved with it. So thank you again. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, I was actually going to inquire about how how you feel it came out and how how it did. If you're pleased in getting it out the yeah. door, it's always hard <laughs> to um you know to say goodbye to something that you've created and let it go. I've just learned that for the first time. So mm. yeah, what, what how how did that process go? Yeah, I mean, getting the foreword for me was really. It's kind of like a really nice bookend on the whole experience of writing the two books because obviously I'd approach you to write for the first one and it didn't happen for multiple reasons, but it was almost like signing off on this last one. And especially what you wrote, I think really encapsulated that entire experience for me and what an achievement it was. So regardless of sales or, or non-sales, whatever you know the reception has been to the book, I feel really content with what you wrote about me and what you wrote about the book in that forward. So that's kind of been like a really nice way to end it and, and put the book out there and, and let it go, as you as you mentioned. Yeah, I think, I mean, I remember what I wrote and I think it's important to always congratulate the people that really endeavor to mm. do big and great things and and that can be in anything you don't have to write a book or write a video game or do anything like that to have endeavored to do something big but just putting in that extra work putting in that extra time not being lazy these are all things that we confront and are challenged by all the time i'm lazy all the time and then i have to <laughs> get and i think that's the problem with a lot of people i'm self-employed so I have these like fits and starts where I'm like, I'm not doing anything today, but then I, I can never really get away from my work. And then I go like, I'm sitting in bed in the middle of the night with my laptop, like just firing off emails and doing stuff. And it's good to just shake yourself out of that complacency, no matter what you do. And if you can put something extra into the world, even though you don't know who might receive it or what might happen, hmm. I think that that's pretty powerful. And so I think you should be congratulated. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that. It's actually quite inspirational because Writing a book's difficult. I mean, I've, how many half-written, quarter-written books do I have on my, you know, ten percent through on my fucking laptop? It's hard to yeah. see see something all the way through. It is, yeah. And I think you're right. Like, I feel that really strongly. That sense of laziness in the midst of being a hard worker. Like, it's it's easy to look at certain parts of your life. And I think we might have talked about this on our last podcast together. But it's easy to think like that you avoid hard work you know, whether it's manual labor or whatever for me, <laughs> but then you have this other side to you where you grind away and you really get stuff done, whether it's at your job or in your personal time. I think we all have the capacity to, to do that. Definitely. I don't, I don't know what I would do without my, my work and my company. I do really well for myself and it's cool. And I probably should take some time away and go like live in the woods for a little while or go camp or just get like, get out. But I just don't know I'm actually more tempted than ever to just like disappear off the grid for a while, but I don't know what I would do without that work and that toil. Mm. And it just gives me meaning. I just find meaning in, you know, especially now, I know it sounds, it's like so trite because there are people that are really doing extraordinary work right now, the doctors and healthcare professionals and public service workers and the truck drivers and farmers and everyone that's really helping sustain our economy and our way of life right now both here in the States and Australia and everywhere else in the world, I do take my charge of like entertaining people and taking their mind off of it or whatever a little bit more seriously right now. And I'm getting like more messages than usual. I get a lot of really nice messages from people, but getting way more than usual being like, thank God you're still putting these podcasts out on time. And this is such a traumatic time or I've lost my job or I've been furloughed or people writing yeah. to me saying that they have to drop their patronage because they've gotten laid off or whatever. I mean, this is a 
really hard time. So I just try to, no matter what I'm going through in my myopic little world uh, and my viewpoint, I just know that it's like so much worse for a lot of other people out there and we have to do our best to kind of lift each other up. So I, I try to do that. I try to also remind myself of that with the work that I do. Yeah, definitely. I don't think enough can be said about like how important the arts and entertainment are at a time where there's not much else to turn to right now. And I think uh, I think we covered the whole cabin in the woods thing on the last podcast too. But yeah, I don't remember anything. Sorry, <laughs> we might be getting closer and closer uh, as time goes on. And I think for you, like that work ethic, that grind, it, it would ultimately just become trying to stay alive and build a fire and find food. So I'm sure you could find a way to to make it work with your <laughs> personality. Yeah, I'd be probably. I'm not a very manly man, so I'd. I'd as much <laughs> as I'd love to, li- you know, I've been watching Vikings lately for some reason. It's good. I like it. The Last Kingdom's way better, in case anyone's curious. Same subject matter. But one of the, Bjorn, one of the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok, and the main character goes off and like lives in a cabin over a winter and survives in the Nordic environs. And I was just thinking, I'm like, I'd be so fucked. Like, I, I'd, I wouldn't even know what to do in this situation. So as, mu- <laughs> as much as I like glamorize and I've, I've been even watching some YouTubers in the last few months, like this guy, these guys that like live off the grid. It's a little ironic because they're like right. videotaping themselves and uploading it to the <laughs> internet, but they like live alone and they like build all their own shit and hunt their own food and stuff. I'm like, I can't do this. This is like insane. Like the best I would have. It's like when you, what are they called when you, when you go to Nepal or Tibet and you climb mountains, a chirpa or whatever? Yeah. Sherpa. Yeah. I'd probably need to hire a similar sort of character in my own life to just do mm. all of it for me. And then I'll just live with them, you know, and that would, you know, that would be the best I could do. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a glam. I would love to live in Montana or the Dakotas or Alberta or Saskatchewan or something and just disappear. But I probably would literally disappear because I'd be dead in, you know, a week <laughs> to a grizzly or something. Exactly. All right. Well, we're here to talk, I guess, about Twin Breaker. But I kind of wanted to do the sequel to our last conversation, which, as you mentioned with your poor memory, I'll remind you, it was in March of 2018. And I believe you had just mentioned on the podcast that you were about to start this new podcast with your brother. And of course, we know by now that that's knocked back and it's gone on to be quite a huge part of what you're doing at CLS. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about the evolution of your company and and your own work since then. Uh, You've dropped the political content more or less completely, apart from dabbling on uh, Sacred Symbols Plus, the PlayStation podcast has become, I guess, the the prime content for you. So how have you seen that growth take place in two years? Yeah, CLS has never been bigger or more lucrative, which is really wild. And um, I don't know how the coronavirus stuff is going to affect it, but it's actually still growing right day over day, even during the virus. But I don't expect that that's going to last. People need to really worry about themselves and their families at these mm. at this tough time so i'm not begrudging anyone for dropping out for a little while if that's what they need to do but the company is doing great and you know i've really thought a lot about the evolution of it because cls just turned three on march 20th and so as we enter our fourth year and we're in our fourth year now it's it is interesting to see the evolution away from what it was originally supposed to be and what it's become and what i think it's become is something that's been driven by what the audience really wanted out of me and I've discussed this kind of ad nauseum, and I don't mean to be repetitive. I don't remember exactly if we discussed this at the time, but uh, I didn't realize it's been two years, so I'm, I don't feel that bad about about forgetting. I can't remember <laughs> what I did okay. two days ago. So, you know, 
the history and politics stuff was fun, but I found it. I'm really glad I did it because I always had this hunger inside of me to pursue that as a profession and feel like I could be a part of the commentariat as they so uh, you know the so-called commentariat or a talking head. And what I really realized was that to find success in these in these areas, you need to be more of like a spin doctor. And I'm not really interested in doing that. And I kind of could identify, I mean, it was obvious just from the 2016 election and what was also happening in Britain and even down in Australia and in other Western democracies was that things were getting more polarized and it was just getting worse and worse. And I didn't want to be a part of it. And I'm so glad that I withdrew when I did because I probably would have swallowed a fucking bullet by now having to make my living doing what some of these people have to do to make a living. It does come off to me if you want to have a, an audience and growth is, is almost grifting to the point where I've tried to follow, I don't even want to use any names, but I've tried to follow certain people in both the left and the right through this political campaign that's happening in the US right now. And I had to unfollow some of them just because it's like they really don't shut the fuck up and they really don't act as honest brokers. And I really was, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I really was trying to just take what I thought was the appropriate side of various topics. And it just was bringing me so much fire and so much misery in my life that I needed to walk away from it. But thankfully I had what a lot of people don't have any options. And I understand that in their lot, like their lives, they have to do what they have to do to get by. But I realized that I had this fallback option as it were to just do what I used to do. And I used kind of funny um, and my, my old company is kind of an example because when we started the company, it wasn't what it became. What it is now is not what it was when it started. And anyone that was there when we yeah. started doing Game Over Greggy show and conversation with Colin and Oreo oration and stuff know that like none of those shows even exist anymore, really. And so I kind of took heart in the fact that like you can take a brand as long as you have an, a captive audience and a, an engaged audience and a loving audience and you can figure it out and kind of poke and prod at them and give them what they want ultimately. And Knockback was kind of the first step towards that. And we passed 100 episodes a couple months ago and it's a really fun show to do. And I really enjoyed watching Dagan, my brother, uh, really spread his wings and become this cult favorite amongst my audience. And I love that. It doesn't make me mad at all. I'm so glad that Dagan's like the popular part of the show. It's cool. And it takes a little bit of stress off of me as well. Because Sacred Symbols is so demanding, too. So I know that he was on a show with you guys. You guys did Bottle Rocket, I think, right? Or no, the... Uh, we did Office Space. Office Space. Yeah. Comedy Rewind, yeah. And I know he really enjoyed that. And he's just enjoying spreading his wings. So it's been it's been fun. It's been cool. And I'm really happy that people are digging it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of a long-winded way of saying it. But it was cool to be able to... <laughs> To be able to find my way into there with him and, and collaborate with my brother, which I've wanted to do for forever. And I guess like the CLS that we have now is it's a group of people. It's not this. It's not Colin. Like your name's in the in the title of the company, but it's you. It's Chris. It's Dagan. You know, it's Sophia. It's Dustin. And you got this new guy. Sorry, I can't remember his name doing yeah, the, the videos. Yeah. Mr. Maddie plays. Yeah. So mm. Dustin's a full time employee. And other so he gets paid a salary. And otherwise, everyone works in a freelance capacity so that they're able to do their own thing. Chris obviously is a very successful YouTuber uh, in his own right, but we you know pay him to be on the show and uh, do all this other stuff. 
and then yeah sophia works for rt and she's like a full-time like i guess politics writer there or something and culture writer and so she writes her scripts for me on the side and maddie obviously runs a really popular like role-playing game youtube channel and so and dagan's obviously an animator and and he's heavily engaged in the company and and will be launching another podcast on my brand Mm -hmm. soon i think we already expected to have it out but things have been kind of complicated by the coronavirus so yeah, it's a it's a conglomeration of people, and it's really cool. Um, I feel a lot of pressure right now just because these people, in varying ways, from Dustin completely all the way to probably Sophia or Maddie or someone who don't really rely on me that much, people rely on me for their money. And with what's going on in the world and what's going on with small business and stuff, I'm just glad that we're like capitalized and liquid, no debt, have a really engaged audience because I'm actually most worried about making sure they can be paid. Uh, no problems there right now, but it's just the extra stress of owning a business right now is is really troubling. But yeah, we have something really cool and it just goes to show you, you can have your own little piece of the pie on the internet without needing millions of views and millions of listeners. And I think our audience is, we have an audience that's much smaller than a GameSpot, for instance, but certainly much more engaged and dedicated to the brand. And we're seeing that not only with the growing patronage, but also the support of of uh, Twin Breaker and and other stuff. It's just really, it's really nice to see. So it's cool to have like a little family and grow it and see what people think of it and kind of insert yeah. people and learn also as well. Not everyone's crazy about all the additions I've made, and we try to listen to that as well. But I don't make any moves without being pretty deliberate about it. Yeah, I think the way that you engage with the fans is is pretty spot on. Like you make decisions on your own, but you're always listening to, to what people have to say. And I mean, I, I'm personally really excited for what Dagan is able to, to come up with because I think it was a couple of years ago now when I first interviewed him and he mentioned how he'd love to do an animation podcast and whatever that might look like one day. And I'm excited to see whatever he comes up with, hopefully soon. Yeah, I, uh, I know what he's doing and I'm excited to show the world. I'm really a believer. I mean, this was something I learned at Kind of Funny, but I don't like teasing teases of teases and stuff like that. Like, I really like having something to show when the time comes. That's how we did. That's how we launched Collins Last Stand. That's how we launched Sacred Symbols. That's how we launched Knockback. Uh, so we'll launch the show and we'll announce the show when it's ready to go. So people have something to put into their earbuds and listen to and... Dagan is interesting because he brings like a real joy and an excitement, almost like childlike wonder. And I don't mean that as obviously an insult. I don't think anyone thinks that, but like he's just really positive and he's a good force for the company. He balances my more sardonic outlook on life and it's good. And I think there's, there's so many gaming podcasts and there's so many retro things and whatever, but I think he works because I think he's truly endearing to the audience. So I think that, Hmm he will fit in perfectly with what we're trying to do. And um, yeah, I'm excited to to see what people think of his product. So yeah, hopefully we'll get it out in the next month, but it's really up to him. I'm not trying to rush him either. It's just like, whatever he's ready, it's fine. Yeah, he has a real job. He's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, and now his kids are being homeschooled because uh, yeah. of the thing that's going on with coronavirus and um, all of that. So I, I, I'm you know forgiving him for his lack of timeliness. It's, it's, it's totally fine. And by the way, congratulations on your own uh, child. Ooh. I, uh, yes, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a scary thing. It's a big deal, but I'm sure you're excited <laughs> about it. He was watching me play some Twin Breaker last night. Oh. We try not to give him too much screen time, but uh, yeah, I think he was enamored by the colors and shapes. Good, that's great. And he'll hope, I'm sure he'll turn into a a gamer in his own right when the time comes. <laughs> me too. I don't think he has a choice. No, really. definitely not. <laughs> so 
speaking of Twin Breaker, we can probably move on to that. First of all, I just want to ask, what does it mean to you to have this game come out? Like you mentioned before how the reception had been so great and positive and uplifting, but take that away just to have this accomplishment, to have video games be such a central part of your life for so long, both as a hobby and your career for most of your life. You've been through so much and and this has happened now, not the end, but at, at this point within your up and down kind of journey of the last five years or so. So what does it mean to you to have this done and to have your name on this product? It means a lot of different things. I mean, I can't help but feel some of those things are petty. And I also can't help but feel that some of those things are real and meaningful and commercial and economic and creative and all of those kinds of things. I mean, it's it's exciting to be able to put out a game and know that people will play it because there are so many games in the world. I mean, we make fun of how many games are put on PlayStation Network every week on Sacred Symbols. And it's it's a shame because you just know, I mean, I know because I talk to people behind the scenes, but I know that people are not playing a lot of these games at all. I mean, some of these games sell hundreds of copies and mm. that's not enough to sustain literally anything. So it's cool to be able to put a game out that we think is really good. And I really do. I mean, I made the, I helped make the game, so I'm, I'm biased, of course, but I think the game is actually really good. And it's cool to put out a game that I think that the audience will appreciate that has like some nods to our show, but that is something that they can, that they can play and that they can enjoy and it's digestible and it's not really trying to take the place of a triple A game in their lives. You know, Doom Eternal's out right now and Resident Evil's coming out and Final Fantasy VII remake and whatever the Neo 2. There's all these like great triple A 50 million, hundred million dollar games coming out that are worth your energy and time and money but we wanted to put out a small ten dollar game that will just distract you for a little while and it's funny with the stuff going on with coronavirus i wasn't sure if this was actually going to benefit us or hurt us and i don't mean that i wanted it to benefit us and i certainly didn't want it to hurt us i was just curious like we were locked into this date for months so we couldn't move i was just curious how it would turn out and, and it turned out great because people needed that's what i was saying earlier people needed this distraction right now, whether they were just distracted by the gameplay or chasing high scores or maybe the story in the game or whatever, and kind of the hopeful nature of, or at least that's what I wanted to put forward with the story. It was, uh, it was something that was really serendipitous in terms of its timing, I think. And it's also nice being able to do it in an environment. And this is where the petty shit comes in, I guess, is a lot of people out there hate me for no reason and have rooted against me and rooted for my failure for a really long time. And it hasn't worked. And this is just a cherry on top for me. Like I released a game on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. We're going to port it to other platforms. Ultimately, this isn't the last game we're going to do. We already have two more games in the pipeline. And it's just kind of feels good to be like, you can't like go fuck yourselves, you know, like to all the people that hated me and pulled against me and rooted against me and defamed me and lied about me. I still climbed and I was still able to do this. And I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud of Barry at Lilymo Games for making such an awesome game as well in our collaboration, which I think was so special. So there are all these different feelings I feel about it, some of them more meaningful than others. But I can't deny that it feels good to put something in the world in spite of all of the forces that were against me and against us and against our brand and what we represent. And what I think we represent is positivity, honesty, welcoming uh, every kind of person in 
and swimming against the tide no matter how unfair it is and mm. so i'm proud of it and i'm glad that people are enjoying it i think that the metacritic score is a little harsh but that's okay it doesn't really matter so we haven't seen sales numbers yet but i'm pretty confident that we did very well and we sold more than two times as many physical copies as we were originally going to be allotted so yeah we're doing great and i'm proud of the game and i'm so happy people are enjoying it that's right yeah i guess the the metacritic thing would be uh, I believe what it's sitting around like 70 is it 65 it's like 68 or 69 I think right yeah. now which I think yeah. is like a little a little harsh but that's fine I really I really don't think it matters uh yeah I mean I was yeah. gonna say like the I guess the criteria to get onto Metacritic is strict enough that there's only a handful there whereas if you looked at I guess more of the community sites like the ones that I'm involved with 8-bit and I guess podcasters and, and people like you've seen so many reviews for this game compared to what's on Metacritic. And I'm sure that those would be a lot more positive. Definitely. And we were proud to, you know, it was really cool to see us. Greg uh, Miller on PS I Love You talked about us extensively and that was cool. And I'm glad he liked the game. I cool. I sent him a code and I was like, there's no pressure to even talk about it or like it, but just wanted you to have it. And uh, he ended up really liking it. We corresponded a little bit about it behind the scenes and that was pretty cool. And so, yeah, people that have, you know, you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. And I don't mean that as an insult. There are, you know, so-called great games that, I don't think I get. So this is just my first step towards some. We're going to do a sequel to this game. We've been pretty open about that. And we're just trying to listen. We learned a lot. We've patched the game a bunch because of certain things that were not appealing to people. And, um, you know, just little problems with the trophies or little problems with some of the control schemes in terms of the dialogue and all of that. So, yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, people have really enjoyed it. Although I must admit, and I said this on Sacred Symbols Plus this past week, I've not been able to really get through or listen to most of the reviews because I just can't do it. Like it, it, it I <laughs> I started reading a lot of them and then like when they first came out and I just have to slowly digest them. I, I it's given me a lot more of an appreciation for what developers must go through when they read mm -hmm. their own criticism, but there's only two of us. So there's no way for us to distribute yeah. the stress amongst <laughs> all of us and like there's an engineering team and a whole team of writers and everything like it's all on us. So like anything they say is either one of our faults or the other, <laughs> the other person's. And um, that's tough to kind of digest and deal with, but we're doing the yeah. best we can. I can only imagine like if someone says the writing sucks, then that's, that's saying you suck, Colin. Yeah, exactly. Like some people, <laughs> you know, some, you know, the writing is long winded. And I think someone called the story glib, which kind of annoyed me just because I was like, well, first of all, skip it. If you, it's not like it's really essential. It's just there. I, I mean, to each his own. It's all subjective. I'm not going to quarrel over this too much, but it's supposed to be an anti-war game. And I don't know what's mm. so glib about that. It's supposed to be about... Well, I don't want to get too deep into it or whatever, but it's about, it's about first contact, but also about the yeah. perspective of those who are making first contact on the other side and what they think of us. It was supposed to just be a self-reflection on maybe we should be more peaceful um, and kind to each other. It does paint a rosy picture of the United States, but that was supposed to be the idea was like, look at the possibilities of the U.S. being different than what it's perceived to be right now. And that to me was a I wanted to write that. I didn't want to write another World War Two style America fucking kills everyone and saves the day. Rah, rah story. It just didn't seem like it was uh, worth writing. Yeah, fair enough. I, I finished the game last night and enjoyed it i've got to go through and get the platinum but there was definitely some some twists in the gameplay that i wasn't expecting like 
I don't know if there's spoilers for, for like a gameplay for, for a game like this, but, uh, you know, switching from the two paddles to the four, I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, it was, it was, I remember playing those stages for the first time and it's so funny listening to or reading people on, especially on Twitter being like, man, it's so fucking hard. Like it's, it's it, the game became so easy for me because I played it so much and, and Barry and I were talking about this like yesterday or two days ago. It's so funny, like how you really do have to put something out into the world to realize eventually like what it is, because the last thing that I expected people to be was challenged by this game. And that just goes to show you that like I just sat there and played it so many times when we were making it that mm. I just became really good at it and patient with it. So it's I'm glad it's hard because hopefully it doesn't turn too many people off, but it's sticky enough where you want to get those high scores I hid all of the collectible documents behind A ranks, but you can also get S ranks, which are even higher, obviously. And the S ranks, you need 20 of 40 to get the platinum trophy, amongst other things. So I didn't want to make it so annoying. Like I had just played Batman Arkham Asylum with those notoriously difficult challenges that you have to do in the game where you have to get three stars on all of them. And that Mm. really sucks. I thought it would have been much cooler if it was like get 70% of the stars or whatever, because then you'd want to at least try. And so that's what we were trying to do with the S ranks and the trophies was, you know, if they're there, if you want to get all the S ranks or the S plus ranks, cool, have fun. But if you're just trying to get the platinum or you're just trying to get the collectibles, there's even a, a lower bar for you. And so hopefully people stay engaged with it. But I think the next game is going to be even harder. So I don't know. I, maybe we have to rethink that. And <laughs> maybe we should do a little more playtesting, too, just to we really didn't show the game to many people. Chris played it a lot and uh, I played it and and. Barry played it, but we actually didn't go through a traditional QA or playtest at all. And so maybe it would behoove us in the future to show the game to more people mm. just to get some of the feedback that I think would have been logical to us um, that we didn't get beforehand. But I don't know that it would have affected the challenge necessarily. Yeah, interesting. I guess it's a, a simple enough game that you could get away with doing that versus games that have a whole lot of extra features and things to, to trial. And even something as simple as the uh, paddles being able to shoot with the L1 and R1. I didn't realize that until about halfway through the game, which uh, changed things a little in the in the gameplay, but it's not as bad as when I played through like an entire Mega Man game without knowing you could charge up the, the gun and, and shoot it. I think it was the final boss when I realized that. Yeah, you have to... <laughs> it's funny, I, I, I actually think that particular mechanic, the L1 and R1 mechanics with the paddles with greetings and salutations is like the biggest part of the gameplay, not only for bouncing the ball, like what's cool about that is because a few people showed me like a gif or like a video of them, their ball getting stuck. And I'm like, the ball can't get stuck in the game. Like it's not possible. It can get, we, you can bounce it into the environment. We had that happen twice when we were testing the game um, only on Vita, but that's like a really random thing. And you can just reset the stage. But part of me wanted to be like, don't you know you like the ball can't get stuck in a horizontal place. Or a vertical place, like a fully 90 degree or 180 degree place because of the the mechanics so of shooting the paddle. So it, it was kind of an ingenious thing, not only to keep the gameplay alive and make it more challenging and build scores, because it's a great way to build high scores by bouncing the paddles off the ball, um, especially if you have a two times token. But also that it it kind of removed most of the ability of the game to be broken because Arkanoid and Breakout and Alleyway could get broken like that. And right. um, so I thought that that was kind of an ingenious thing on Barry's part. That wasn't the intent. The intent was to just make a dynamic gameplay loop. But it was like an extra nice little thing where it's like, well, 
the game can't be broken in most ways because that exists. So I'm glad you figured it out halfway through because the game <laughs> the game becomes much more manageable and you can play it. I'll put a let's play up in the next few weeks or whatever. Um, you can play the game so slickly and so elegantly by using the paddles like that. And so I, I'm I'm excited to see how people kind of feel their way through it in that regard as well. Yeah, I think I kind of like stumbled my way through the game. So it'd be good to see someone who knows what they're doing. Because I look at that, you know, the platinum list to me looks like a good challenge. Like, you, I feel like you have to master the game to get it. And uh, maybe getting some tips would help with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I think the hardest trophy is is getting 20 S ranks and 40 mm. A ranks. But a lot of it is, and this was a complaint that we did get, which a lot of it is based on RNG. And I hear that and I don't know. Barry and I were actually talking in real time on our podcast on Sacred Symbols Plus about how we might fix that in the sequel. And I don't know that there is a good way. Like a lot of getting high scores does depend on getting good drops, getting the heavy ball or the fireball, two times tokens, etc. But it's kind of cool to like watch people and in my own experience with the game, like struggle through a stage and like and get the high score without those things and not needing to rely on them or whatever. So a lot of it d- does just come through replayability. Like if you just go back to the menu and go back to the stage, you might just get better drops the second time around, a laser gun or whatever the case might be. And I, I'm, sure. I think the trophy, I, dude, making the trophy list was like one of the funnest things I've ever done in gaming. And I'm <laughs> not only naming, not only having all the song name double entendres, which I was super stoked with that idea, but just being able to like really be like, this is what I want it to be. This is exactly what it's going to be. And, and, it, and we, you know, as such a trophy horror, it was cool to be able to put that into the world. Okay. So you mentioned writing the trophy list. Let's go through the experience of, I guess, doing the writing for this game. So I'm guessing that you and Barry sat down and talked about the style of this game that he was working on. Was that how it came together? And he asked you to put together some kind of narrative for it? Yeah. So Barry has been a follower of mine for a long time. We we actually kind of identified that it was back in 2008 when he became my friend on PSN when there was a hundred friend limit. His name on PSN is Breath of Water, which is obviously a play on Breath of Fire, the Capcom RPG series. And he was a big trophy whore, and he just remained on my radar. And when he put out his first game, Perils of Baking, which is on PS4, Vita, and um, Switch, I played it and gave him feedback. It's a, it's a decent game. I don't think he would say it's anything more than that. He's really inspired by Super Mario World, so it, it was kind of his attempt to make a little Mario game. And then when he made his second game, Hybroxia, which is more in the spirit of like Life Force, Salamander, those kinds of games, Um I'm actually in that game just as like a collectible. And he asked me and reached out and I said, yeah. And I gave him a lot of feedback on that game too. So we had decided that I was like, what if we work together? I don't remember who approached who in terms of like being literal about it, but it was basically like, let's make a game together. And he was, and he, and he liked that idea. And the original idea that we had was a brawler and we actually have like a small demo for it. And we were going to call it, please protect Chris. And it was going to be all about Chris getting to the like waking up late for the podcast and getting to the podcast and it would be like a double dragon style or final fight style brawler where he was fighting like you know things like it would be like kind of reiterating stories from the show like his roach like one stage would be like all roaches and bugs and stuff like that because we always kid around about how his apartment's infested with bugs and all that but we eventually walked away from that idea because he was working on this other idea and he knew how I felt I have this real affinity for brick breakers and I, Arkanoid has always been one of my favorite games and obviously Alleyway and Breakout and all these other games in these and of course Shatter on PSN 
made, I believe, in New Zealand, one of the great PS3 downloadable games. It's just not a very well-explored genre. And I did some research recently, like after the game had already been entered into QA, and I realized that by my count, there are only three Brick Breakers on PS4 other than ours. So there are four total. Right. And one is called Brick Breaker, which is a very straightforward Arkanoid game, and the others are called Bricks, B-R-I-K-S, and Bricks 2, which are these weird like hidden picture Arkanoid games. And it was just strange that no one is really exploring this genre because it's fun. It's just a fun old school way of playing a game, especially if you just charge $10 for the game and don't take it too seriously and and give someone something fun to do. So he approached me with the demo for it and said he was working on it and knew that I was such a big fan of Shatter in particular. And so we decided to go forward with this. And in like the fall, late summer, early fall last year, I, I wrote the first draft of the story and submitted it to him. And then he started putting the game together and the opening sequence. And then I basically rewrote all of it which might have delayed the game a little bit and then started putting all the collectibles in. And then at the very last minute, like literally like two weeks before we were going to submit the game, I wrote all the dialogue because I was like, I want to do even more with it. So he was really patient with me. We put the story in there. I wanted to give it context. I know Dustin gets mad, but it reminds me a lot of how Catherine took a Qbert style game and gave it all of this texture. Like there was a purpose for what was happening and I wanted to do the same and you don't really need the texture or the purpose you can just play the game in a straightforward way but Barry was really into that idea and really liked the story that I came up with so that was how it all uh, ended up working out yeah I mean it breaks the game up really well like you mentioned Catherine and I just played Catherine on PS4 and you get to those puzzles you get to the end of them and by the end of it you're kind of hanging out for a cutscene, and then when you're walking around the bar, by the end of that, you're hanging out to get back to the puzzles again. And I think in Twin Breaker, it was always a nice surprise to have that break in the gameplay of a little bit of story, I think. Yeah, thank you. It's funny because it was supposed to be much more self-referential than it ended up being. Like, really, the only references to the show are Chris and I and the names the of ships. the ships, right? Yeah. Like, that's really it. I mean, there's no hidden Easter eggs in there, really, or anything like that. A lot of the Easter eggs are in terms of dates on the documents and other stuff like that. And so the the game really didn't even become about us at all. Like Chris is just basically a character in it and I'm basically just a character in it, but it could be anybody. And so I'm glad I made that decision too, because I didn't want to lock it too deeply to our show, but I wanted it to be something that we were able to put out there for people that enjoy the show. And again, have that captive audience that really I think would take to it if they just gave it a chance. And that was the thing that I wanted to kind of, portray more than anything was just really think you should give the game a chance because I really do think it's great and I think it's fun I think it's an authentically fun way to just spend some time and hopefully give people an appreciation maybe moving backwards for games that came before it you know Breakout and Arkanoid especially for sure so I think you kind of just touched on what I was going to ask about which is the tone of the game was it a thought process of how much of uh like you said you haven't really put any easter eggs in there and the original concept you had sounds like it was completely based off kind of in jokes for sacred symbols so was there a decision to be made of you know do i inject a bit more levity in there it's very it's a fairly serious game do you try and get chris's personality across that kind of thing no i i it's funny when i was writing the dialogue i i was nervous that it would come off like I was the leader and Chris was like my 
lieutenant or whatever. So the only thing I tried to do intentionally with the writing was to make it seem like we were both equals. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes he would give orders. Sometimes I would give orders. Sometimes he would talk first. Sometimes I would talk first, whatever the case might be. And I'm not good at writing comedy or funny stuff. Like, I'm just not. So I didn't want to... I think I'm a funny person, but I don't, like, go out of my way to, like, think of funny things. And I just think it's a harder and di- more different um, thought process that I'm used to. So that's where the kind of gr- grave nature of the game comes from is because I think that's just more in my wheelhouse. But it's funny. If I would... If I... Like, you could really erase the whole Sacred Symbols part of the game and it would just be... It's all, It would basically be the same. So... Yeah. The one thing people have been asking is like, well, all game, all the games we do now moving forward, because we're going to do a sequel to Habroxia and we're going to do a sequel to Twin Breaker. Twin Breaker will always be involved with the show, but everything else we do, and we're kind of culminating with a big project. We want to do a role-playing game, which we talked about on Sweet. Sacred Symbols Plus. That's not going to have anything to do with the show or with Chris or anything like that, but I'm glad that we were able to um, insert him and also take advantage of his ability to make good trailers and funny stuff. And I know for the launch trailer, he had like a really dynamic and fun idea that he was not able to execute on because the coronavirus kind of took everyone out of the game that he was collaborating with. But it was cool to like just have him as someone like a to pardon the pun to bounce shit off of. And yeah, like it, it's just I, I liked writing the serious the serious game and. There's not a lot of comedy in games. I, I've often reflected on that, but I think that that part of that is because it's just harder to do. And I don't think I have, at least at the current time, I don't think I have the chops to make it any more, to add any more levity than I did, which is very little to the game. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. It is, yeah, it definitely is a challenge. Like I've attempted to write humor myself, whether it's in the novels I've written or I'm working with Rainbite on Trigger Witch at the moment and it's it's easy to write something in your head and think this is funny, but wonder whether anyone's going to read it in the way that you've uh, written it. So yeah, I, I guess avoiding that altogether is another option. Yeah, man. First of all, congratulations on that gig. I'm jealous because those guys are awesome and mm. it's awesome that you're going to be able to collaborate with them. That game looks great from the... Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it looks awesome. So when 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 is that going to come out? Do you guys know? It's this year. Yeah. I know that much. Uh, unless, I don't know, I can't see anything derailing it from, from that. But there's not like a hard release date. Because as you know, indie development is such a finicky process. And we'll talk a bit more about that side of this soon. But yeah, just seeing the amount of work they have to do, it's like, wow, <laughs> how, do you, how are you going to do this? But they seem pretty confident that this year is going to be the release. And I've more or less finished my side of things. The script's pretty long. It's substantial. But um, yeah, it'll just be tweaking things here and there before it comes out. Right on. Yeah, Reverie was great. And so I'm really excited to uh, play what's next for them. Big, You guys got a big supporter in me um, with that game. I, I think it looks cool. And yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it's, I, I, to your point, like that's why I give so much... You, I feel bad because, and that's why I always try to talk about Barry because who is, you know, the one man team at Lilymo Games. We worked with some artists too, but on a freelance capacity, but he did all of the heavy lifting. I mean, that dude really made this happen with, without me, this game would have existed without him. This game yeah. would not have existed. And so that's an important thing to note. I'm just really now I'm, I'm, I, you know, we're really open about it. I mean, like I'm a really powerful marketing force for him in our game, mm. you know, so it works out for, it works out for him too. Um, but he would still Definitely. be able to make games and do his thing. And I would not be able to ever do it without him. So, um, but w- and we did talk about this on sacred symbols plus, but, um, we haven't really 
dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's yet, but I'm basically acquiring a minority stake of his studio and our collaboration will be pretty permanent moving forward. Um, I'll be like writing and, and kind of acting as some sort of creative director or creative officer um, for everything that we do moving forward. So cool. it's the, so the collaboration is permanent and I'm we're really excited to, to move forward together. And we, we, have, we don't even know how the game's selling yet. We only have anecdotal evidence. So we want to see that and then know how to move forward from there. Yeah. All right. That's going to change things up for you quite a bit. Yeah. Um, with Habroxia, Habroxia 2 is going to be the next game we do, the sequel to his space shooter. And that will be pretty minimal. We want to, that ga- the original game really had no story at all. So we want to just kind of retcon things a little bit and fix things to give it a little more texture. And then when we do Twin Breaker 2, that will be the culmination of this game because it does end, the original does end on a cliffhanger, mostly because I want to, I don't, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't know what I'm going to do next with, with Twin Breaker. I don't know where it goes from there. I have like seven ideas or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how I want to conclude it, but yeah, it'll be different. And then the game, the big role-playing game that we want to make, we want to make a 16-bit or 32-bit style role-playing game. And I've been really focused on that. And I won't talk about that at all, but I'm really excited about the idea it's super different and um i think that that could be our rig real tour de force but that's probably yeah. you know 2022 at the earliest i would say sure okay yeah i can imagine that would take a fair bit of time to put together especially with other stuff happening before then but yeah even from my experience working with the rain bike guys the smallest kind of tweaks or little changes to the game can, can take like so much work to implement and I'm interested what you've learned about development from working with Barry and learning about, you know, this is a restriction and this is why you can't do what seems like it would make the most sense or this is why it can't be ported onto every single, you know, console at once. I know that the Rainbike guys look at those kinds of um, issues and challenges all the time and, and try and come up with a solution as a, a three-person development team. What was it like working with Barry on a game where he's like the only guy to answer these questions? And like, I guess, what are the, the main things that you learned through the experience about the development side of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, you kind of already touched on it, which is that like nothing is easy to fix. Yeah. <laughs> this was something we knew from the get go. Um, and that's something I've known about games. I, I understand, I think, better than most being in the games media for so long. Like, I know how games are made. I know like the, the, the amount of work that goes into them and how mm. easily things break and how everything has to come together. I mean, I fundamentally understand that stuff, but until you're in the trenches, you don't realize like how it's even with just our small team, like how hard it is to turn the ship into a certain direction and fix things. And I was always really amazed by how efficient Barry was in implementing change and in doing all those kinds of things, because we really didn't know, or I didn't really, he knows what he's doing. I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, if you look at the evolution of his games from Perils of Baking to Habroxia to Twinbreaker. I mean, he's come a long way. And it's really amazing to see how Barry just kind of dealt with all the changes and was really nimble and understood how to deal with Sony. And I think the things that I learned, there were a few things I learned, specifically in regards to trophies. It was interesting that um, we, we actually platinumed the game before it came out and it passed QA, but like a few of the trophies were still broken. And I think what I learned was we patched those, but we patched all the breaks before the game even came out. But it was just amazing that things just sneak through. I think there's like different level. It seems like there's different levels and thoroughness of QA depending on hmm. 
maybe how big your game is. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just, I was surprised by that some of those things got through. And um, it was also uh, interesting to learn about just how people, like how simple it actually is. And we talked about this again on Plus, so I don't mean it for anyone that listened to that, I don't mean to be redundant, but patching PS4 games is really easy uh, in terms of mm. getting it through the pipeline and onto PSN. And it really makes me like, I really disrespect developers that just let their games languish and be broken forever or for long periods of time because it's actually really not a big deal. Like you can actually patch your game without like Sony's involvement really at all um, as long as it passes like these very rudimentary checks. We patched the game like four times before it came out just by releasing patches like whenever, you know. And um, so I I think I learned that some things are easier and some things are harder but I will never look at a patchless game or an unpatched game the same ever again because it's really not a big deal to get the patch through and fix what's broken in a game. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what about like working with Play Asia and PlayStation on the back end, whether it's like the PSN, the store description, translation, that kind of thing? Like, was there something you learned about that side of the development process? Yeah. So, Play Asia has been a really cool partner through East Asia Soft in getting our game published physically which was something that people really wanted and i think we blew away their expectations for our game which was cool um and east asia soft is actually publishing the game in asia that will Mm. come out in may um but it's just it is interesting to just deal with artists and kind of the like there's a culmination of like mock-ups and making sure all the i's are dotted and t's are crossed with the documents that are going to come with the physical game and in the manual and on the CD is all the music, right? Like there's a lot, it's actually quite nerve wracking because you really do have to make sure everything is nailed down properly because once it's, once the die is cast, it's cast. So it's cool to have like a smart group of people at these different companies that are kind of watching our backs and making sure things are going right and shepherding us along the way. Cause I don't think, I mean, I can't speak for Barry's frankly a lot smarter than I am, but I wouldn't be able to manage all of this stuff in addition to CLS so it's cool that we had people that we can just lean upon and that understood our vision and understood what we were trying to do. And I think, again, we're so pleased with the sales we were pushing through on our physical versions that I think that they were very happy to be as accommodating to us as possible. Because I don't know, they, you would have to ask them, but I don't think that they thought that this game was going to be anything too special in terms of its sales. And I don't think that they realized the power of the Sacred Symbols audience and Collins Last Dance audience to um, support something. So um, that was a really cool realization for everyone as well. And that's why we're so eager to see sales numbers. We'll see American sales numbers, I think, Monday and then European ones on Thursday. So we just want to see how the game does. And then we want to continue to read people's reactions so that maybe we can release one final patch that fixes anything else that's broken or not broken necessarily. Like one of the things people complained about that we didn't think about when we were making the game was, with dialogue, like pressing X doesn't skip the dialogue forward in the box. It actually skips to the next dialogue. And so people were missing a bunch of dialogue by playing the game like they normally would. And we had to go back and fix that. So it's by continuing to listen to people, I think we'll be able to learn more about what what um, what we should do moving forward. But with East Asia Soft and with Play Asia, we have good partners that we intend on working with uh, well into the future. That's cool. And, and I guess the last thing I want to ask about the game specifically is... You know, you talked about how it felt to get it done and how great the reaction had been from your audience. But what's it been like to have, I guess, 
the acknowledgements from people like uh, Neil Druckmann, Corey Barlog, and even talking to to your old friend Greg about playing the game and enjoying it. Like seeing these people who you respect enjoy it and not only enjoy it, but I guess promote it in a way, it must be pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I talked to Neil behind the scenes. And so I, I, you know, just to be honest, like Neil and I were talking about something totally unrelated and I'm like, oh, I got codes for my game. So here, here it is. Um, so he, he didn't go, you know, I didn't want, I don't want to make it seem like Neil went and and bought it. Um, maybe he would have, but I just want to, you know, I don't want to be like, I'm not that cool. (laughs) He played it. Yeah, he played, he did play and Corey went and bought it too. And that was really cool. And it's really, I mean, those are their two biggest creative directors in PlayStation's ecosystem. So it's awesome. And not even from a promotional point of view, but just from something like from the point of view of like, yeah, I really, you know, Corey said it like you did, you did, you put it out, you did it. Like I put, I did, I wrote a game. It's out. It will never, unless there's an EMP explosion over, you know, <laughs> Japan and the United States, whatever, this game will never disappear. And I did it. I put it out there into the world and I don't know that I'll ever have, you know, there'll never be another first time for this, which is why I'm so bummed that I'm bummed right now about other extraneous shit because I don't feel like I enjoyed it quite as much as I think I would have under normal circumstances, but seeing the enjoyment coming out of some big names, like you said, and and some of that promotion that comes from that is is really cool and heartening. And again, we only have anecdotal evidence, but from PSN profiles and kind of tracking the trophy rarity on PSN and everything. But it seems like we've sold thousands of copies of the game, and hmm. that's awesome because we've already sold about four thousand copies physically. And my my lifetime goal was ten thousand, so I think we're gonna pretty easily yeah. pass that. And that's really wild. And that's nothing compared to you know, Doom Eternal or whatever, which is going to sell millions or Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is going to be huge, but we didn't have those high expectations. And so keeping our expectations low and then having people enjoy the game, I think has been a smart move and um, an encouraging move on our behalf. And and just goes to show that I think that there's a place for all types of games and all types of game styles and, and price points and all of that as well. Yeah. I mean, with two or three employees involved in the game, you don't need to sell millions of copies to make it uh significant to you no i mean we're not all gonna be like uh you know stardew valley was made by one guy or axiom verge made mm. by my good buddy tom hap i mean they're both multi-millionaires from their games because they did it all by themselves but that's that's rare and that's not realistic mm. that's not you know, not a realistic expectation so um yeah so we're totally pleased like everything above ten thousand units sold will be icing on it for us because that that was our expectation and i think the game we were looking like, again, because we're just so interested in the anecdotal evidence while we wait for sales numbers that um, it's interesting to see like the game has more PSN reviews than Habroxia or Apparels already does. Uh, the game has more PSN profiles users. The game, you know, so like we can read into those things and figure out that we're doing pretty well. That's cool. That's really cool. I'm going to go through some of the questions I ask everybody on the show, Colin. So okay. what would you say was the hardest part of this experience for you uh working on the game putting it out there for me it was just learning to let go i i, I think i would this is something Corey actually said in his tweet to me which was you know you got to mm, just yeah. kind of let go of things and it, it was hard because i i think i just would have rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten yeah. like constantly and i was for a while so that was it was difficult to just like let it go yeah i think that's 
any kind of like you've you've worked on i guess videos that have been big videos and you've done different things over the years probably especially at ign when you know hitting publish is that hardest part of of finishing things up and it's even more so with i guess a game i guess you can always patch it though that's that's the saving grace for some things but yeah and that is nice but it's it's pretty much it is what it is and Mm. it's 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 good to have a final finish line where it's like this is this is just going to be the end and you got to move on and yeah that's the torture of the author i guess or the writer is or the artist or whatever the musician is like you'd always change something i think if you could the other day my wife was reading my book and she said do you want me to tell you if i find any mistakes and i was like nope (laughs) don't tell me it's too late can't fix it (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's tough that would be rough very final (laughs) yeah exactly but it happens to to the best like it's it's shocking like the biggest publishers there are you you read through the books and you find typos it's like well happens to them i guess i don't feel so bad yeah I, I can't remember what book it was i brought it up on a show a long time ago but it was like a big public like harper collins or someone published like a book that i was reading with like a typo on the first page wow so um yeah <laughs> <laughs> it happens all right uh so what would be your advice to anyone out there that wants to dip their toe into game development the way you have and i guess this is relevant to me because i'm writing a game at the moment i'm calling myself the narrative designer just because it sounds fancy i don't know what title you gave yourself but uh yeah i guess writing is a way into game dev for people who don't have that programming or graphic artistic expertise yeah i don't i just call myself the writer i didn't you know i have no idea what to call myself but um (laughs) and again like with the future games we're trying to figure out like creative director would probably make some sense but it's really barry's mm-hmm. studio and that seems like i'm the head of the studio so i wouldn't want that so i, I do think like chief creative officer is what we're gonna come up with which i think You're is gonna make something yeah up. just make something up which i think chief creative officer i think does exist in like some um like you know if you're in like an architecture firm or marketing firm or something like that but sure. um yeah i don't know it, it really doesn't mean anything to me but the advice i have is to just do it and maybe to try to find like we did try to find collaborators that can benefit you in some different ways i think that that's you don't want to like be redundant with skills especially when you're a small outfit barry can't write the way i write and i can't make games the way barry makes games so we were able to collaborate in a meaningful way so if you're like a pixel artist or a 2.5d artist or whatever and you want to have that stuff in a game find a programmer that uses game maker or whatever unity um and put your energy into that and really stick with it. It's tough. Like there are so many games, but I think the bigger thing is, is that there are so many games that are abandoned or never finished. And that's the biggest shame of all, because you're never really going to know until you put something out into the wild. And that's true with a podcast or a video or whatever. And it's becoming tough. I mean, it's a saturated market. Everything is saturated, but I do believe that really great stuff doesn't remain unknown for very long mm. it, or forever it's it just I, I don't i'm really flabbergasted i have a little notepad where i write down games on psn that i'd never heard of that i've come across and it's really rare that like i come across a game where i'm like what the fuck is this this game came out in 2016 it looks awesome i never even heard of this game um usually that doesn't happen so i do believe that if you endeavor to do something that you find the right collaborators and that you put something out into the wild whether on steam or you get playstation dev kits or whatever that you might find a way to succeed and you might surprise yourself. And if you keep your expectations in check and keep things moderate, then I think that you'll be in good shape. Solid advice. All right. 
So the last question I have for you, and I'm interested to compare this to what you said two years ago, is if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, God, I don't even know what I said then. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you when you finish. Okay, let me think here. I don't know. I think making... If I, I think at this point I'm so inspired by Twin Breaker that I, if I could make like a 10-person studio, get the capital for it, fund it, and make something more A, like think about like Focus Home Entertainment or Interactive or whatever, the guys that make like the va- vampire game and you know stuff like that. It would be cool to be able to like go to an investor and be like, I know I can do this and I know we can make money on this idea, scale up a little bit, Lily Mo or whatever, and make something like, you know, maybe have that role-playing game that I want to work on made by a team that's bigger than just the two of us with freelance artists. Mm-hmm. And I think we will be bigger by the time we make that game. I think we'll have to be. But um, yeah, so that's what I, that's where my heart is right now is that if I could not, if I knew I wouldn't fail, I would make like a, make Lily Mo with Barry into something that's bigger than just the two of us. That's cool. But what did I say last time? Last time you said that you wanted to write fiction. Oh. So I guess you you kind of done that. But you, I think you mentioned specifically TV and film, but then you also went on to talk about how much you desire to be a renaissance man and you wouldn't like to be tied down to doing one thing for too long. So do you still feel like that? Because games like, I mean, CLS is in itself is very different from what you're doing with, with Barry. Yeah, I mean, I do still feel like that. I mean, I still feel like there's opportunities for me to do other stuff. Like I often think about, I don't think I would actually do this, but I often think about like, what if I went back to grad school just to go, you know? And Mm. um, what if I got into academia or what if I did something else? Like I don't, I have a lot of really varied interests and that's not just me being like, look how smart I am. It's like, it's, it's me being (laughs) like, I really do. Like I love history and politics, but I love astronomy and I love chemistry and botany and I love philosophy. And, you know, there's like all, like I, I think I'm lucky because I've been financially secure enough and successful enough to try to flex my muscles in different kinds of ways that a lot of people just don't get that opportunity because it's just, the you know, I, I realize how lucky I am. And I feel like by not breaking the mold once in a while, I am maybe not doing right by the situation at hand that like maybe I've been, I've been dealt such a good hand with hard work, but also with a lot of luck that it would be wrong to not try to do those different things and not be contained too much. So I'm really happy with CLS. We're going to keep doing those shows. I'm really happy with game development. I'm going to keep doing that. But I wouldn't be surprised if I invested or did something else and that has nothing to do with any of this stuff just to keep things fresh and keep my mind sharp. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks so much for your time, Colin. Congrats again Thank you. on the game. Thank you. It's great fun. I encourage people out there to to give it a crack. It's, as you mentioned, $10. I think over here it's 16 or 17 But it is uh, a seven. It was seven seconds to download it for me, so that's probably a, a good selling point too. Yeah, it's tiny. I think it's. I think the. <laughs> I think it's like a hundred and ten megabytes or something on PS4, and I think it's like eighty on P- yeah on Vita. <laughs> yeah. So it's it is tiny if you have caps or if you're dealing with a lot of throttling right now, which I know a lot of people are. So yeah, no, thank you for having me, and many congratulations on your own uh, endeavor with Rainbite and um, birth of your new child and your book. You know, you have a lot of exciting things going on with you as well. So you know, congratulations, and you know happy to be here thank you for inviting me yeah thank you like i said third podcast together each time it's a great experience and uh happy to to talk as always and happy to to call your friend colin you've been uh, really good to to me and i guess i've uh, been able to interview chris and dustin and, and dagan and i guess 
rotating around some of what you're doing has been a great way for me to build a, an audience with some of your audience as well so yeah always fun no thank you man i i'm I, hopefully we can continue our collaborations in the future it's not it's too bad you're so far away because <laughs> you know we could probably do something fun together but that distance probably wouldn't have wouldn't stop us if we if we wanted to try to, to do something in the future but yeah no i'm glad to uh have exposed you to those guys and uh yeah wishing you much more success in the future hit me up for anything anytime <laughs> all right fair enough thank you for listening and thanks to audio technica you can catch colin on twitter at no taxation twin breaker is on ps vita and playstation 4 right now so go and download it give it a play and support what colin is doing with barry at lily mo games you want to get behind the 8-bit collective you can head to patreon.com slash we are 8-bit and that is where your support will get behind podcasters and content creators just like me catch me on socials at Jono himself and until next episode keep putting in work <laughs>